Hello and welcome into the My Wheelhouse Basketball Podcast on the We Got Balls Podcast Network. I'm your host, Seamus McNamara, joined today, June 1st, the eve of the 75th NBA Finals by my dear friends and co-hosts Steve Trudeau and Al Biddy's Natola. What's going on, gentlemen? I don't know what's going on, but did you forget the name of the podcast for a second? I did. I definitely forgot the name <laughs> of the podcast for a second. <laughs> Okay, that just shows my active listening skills because I saw you guys like smirking and I was like, I don't get what's going on. We got, I got a lot on my mind. Uh, our, our Boston Celtics have advanced to their, uh, I, I had the number of the NBA finals that they've been in and I, I've lost my page, but they've been in a lot. Um, they, they, they snuck past the Miami Heat. I'm sure that we'll speak briefly on that. I'm sure Steve has lots of thoughts about his Miami Heat. And uh, how they fell short there. And uh, later in the podcast, of course, we'll touch on a preview for the Golden State Warriors, who will be in their six NBA Finals in eight years. Obviously, it's a very familiar cast with a few new pieces um, supplementing them. And uh, it should be interesting, should be a pretty evenly uh, matched uh, series. If, if you look at betting sites or sports books, they slightly favor Golden State. If you look at advanced metric uh, projection systems, those actually heavily favor Boston. But as we know, uh, throughout most of the season, they've been very, very lofty with their projections for Boston all along. So either there's just something in the sauce or um, they're right about Boston. And if you go across most uh, analysts, experts uh, listening across podcasts, uh, based off what I've heard, I would say it's leaning – I don't know, 65, 35 towards the Warriors at this point. And I would say that's more so leaning that direction because of extenuating factors like the Celtics having played 100 more minutes in the playoffs so far than the Warriors, the Celtics struggling with injuries a little bit more, the Celtics being uh, more young and less experienced to the stage of the NBA Finals and so on and so forth. But before we get to the... Uh, NBA Finals preview. Um, let, let's uh, let's let's do a mea culpa on on the, the Miami Heat season. Um, it, we we saw Jimmy Butler uh, extend the the life of the Heat in Game Six with a performance akin to LeBron James back in 2012. Debatably even more impressive of that of a performance in that game. And uh, coming into Game Seven, back in Miami. Uh, he didn't have a lot of help, but he tried to put on a show all 48 minutes, but it fell short. Um, Steve, uh, how you feeling as a temp- temporary Heat fan? You, you you hitched your wagon to them late in the season. Yep. You were a, you were a drinker of the culture. Um, they're 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 out of the picture. Uh, how you feeling today? I'm still drinking the culture. Like I I still like what they do down there. Like how they develop players and they they get buy in, but. I mean, the two biggest guys that were supposed to help Jimmy Butler out never showed up. That's what drives me crazy. Like, Bam Adebayo, if you look at the box score of all these games he took, except for the one game where he blew up for, like, almost 30 points. I don't know the exact number, but he, he was taking, like, six, seven shots a game. He was frightened. He, he, was getting, he was getting game seven. I think he still only had a couple shots. I'll check on it. I think he only had, like, a handful of shots, no more than 10 shots. He, he just felt so timid the entire series and you you just can't here's the thing like i would prefer having someone like jimmy butler with a rational confidence taking 20 shots and missing 
I don't know, 14 of them, at least the defense has to respect you and you're being aggressive. Bam Adebayo wanted nothing to do with the moment, and it's just disappointing because he was a huge factor all year from start to finish. And then they brought in Kyle Lowry to be like a third piece alongside them, and they should have learned something from Toronto because he's not a playoff performer. He barely played this playoff series or like these entire playoffs, and when he played in the series, he was dookie. Like, he brought nothing to the table. He's undersized, and his best defensive asset is just flailing all over the place. And then offensively, I mean, he pushed the tempo, which I did appreciate, but he just could not generate offense outside of trying to draw fouls. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like the Miami Heat offense, when they got stuck in the half court, they they were so stagnant, and they relied on driving, getting mid, mid-range pull-ups, which the Celtics have said, okay, take those all day, and then drawing fouls. So... And in that game seven, it felt like if Butler wasn't taking the shot, then they were doing the Celtics a favor. And if Butler missed or did not go to the line, then it like it was like, oh wow, like small miracle for the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, I can go on and on about the Heat, but I kind of want to get your guys' assessment of them them in this series and just kind of all year round. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're spot on with Bam being timid. I mean, this is like, you know, I, I don't watch a ton of heat all year, uh, especially compared to like the Celtics. So this is the most I've watched them other than in the bubble. And it just felt so weird that the Miami fans were basically giving Bam the same treatment that the Celtics fans used to give Taco Fall, where it's like, we're really cheering for this one guy to take a shot and it's just like like it just like you said he's really timid um as far as the kyle lowry thing it just it didn't work out this year i'm not sure it will ever work out and it was just a product of uh they they have this timeline built around jimmy butler and this was the guy available to to try to do something with obviously uh it, it kind of seems like ancient history but if you go back just a couple of years, like we're thinking about Giannis being being that signing rather than Kyle Lowry. Oh God, so yeah. it made sense why they did it. Same as like the Duncan Robinson contract. Somebody else was going to give him that contract. All these moves, like you, if you go back to the time that it happened, it all made sense. Um, it was just like a little off with Butler's timeline. I don't think it will ever come around for them based on their age and how I expect both Butler and Lowry to continue to age. Um, so that's kind of like where, where I'm seeing what went wrong as well as like what to expect next. And I feel like if they want, you said you alluded to Jimmy Butler and Lowry getting towards like the tail end of their peak. I mean, I, you could arguably say that Lowry's already fallen off and starting going down yeah. the decline. I mean, if they want to actually get this thing and win a championship, they have to make an aggressive move like now because they hitched their wagon to Jimmy Butler and he has like a massive, like next couple of years, massive contract. So if they have any chance of doing anything with this core, you got to, in my opinion, you have to make moves this off season, be super aggressive, sell the farm and, and do something because to get nothing out of, out of these moves and just let everyone kind of fade into retirement, it's just a waste. It'd have to be BAM. It'd have to be a BAM-centered trade. No, no way. Absolutely not. Okay. I, I mean, yes. I, I, I think that BAM struggles in his offensive uh, lack of consistent aggression, um, I think, is is outshining how valuable of, of, a, of a piece he is to a successful playoff team. 
He's still one of the five best defenders in the NBA, and he's still a player who's, if appropriately surrounded by other offensive supplementary pieces, can be a very, very uh, effective piece. It's just that when posed up against the elite defense, one of the better defenses that the NBA has seen in recent years that the Boston Celtics just showed, they they were locking down Miami's shooters and making the the offensive flow that became so effective and um, was a, became like a ritual for for Bam to play through his DHOs, um, through his grab and go, uh, his ability to hit corner shooters. Um, off his ability to initiate from the high post was extremely limited. I mean, can you guys, there's only two players on the Miami Heat who shot above 35% from three in the Celtics series. Can you guess who they were? Gabe Vincent, I'm going to guess, was one of them? No, Gabe Vincent did not. Gabe Vincent shot 30. Okay, I, he shot 35%, sure. Yes, I, I wasn't including him, but yes, he shot 35%. So there's three players. Uh, I mean, I have the numbers in front of me, but I, so I won't spoil it. I'll let Biddy's try. You Biddy's is muted. Sorry, got a barking dog here. Um, PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker is one of them. Shot forty percent, and you're not going to get the other one. Um, and you Wait, would. I might have said it on mute. Is it is it Caleb Martin? It is. It is Caleb Martin. Shot forty six. I like Caleb Martin too. I'm with you, Biddy's. They need to stop playing goddamn Victor Oladipo. He was Duncan. atrocious in the series. Duncan Robinson shot 29%. Uh, Max Struess shot 29% on heavy volume. Kyle Lowry, in the minutes that he played, shot 26%. Oladipo shot 27%. Jim, Jimmy Butler shot 29%. Some of these are bad shooters. Some of them are really good shooters that were impacted by intense defense. And I think that and we spoke earlier in the game. It was either game three or game four. I forget which one that uh, Hero was being ruled out for. We were trying to deliberate whether it was actually a positive for Boston because of how effective Victor Oladipo looked defensively or whether it was a negative because it meant the other offense that uh, Miami would have available outside of Jimmy was going to plummet off the side of a cliff. And what we're seeing is it it was kind of both, but um, it's so clear that this Miami team had no second option, especially in the half court. And that relying on that from Bam was too big of an ask, even though we saw in the past and specifically in the bubble and at various parts in regular seasons over the past few years that he has shown signs that he could do it. It, it was, it was too big of a, of an ask for him in this specific moment. So moving forward, I think that it's very, very likely that Tyler hero gets shipped out with a large contract looming that Duncan Robinson gets traded as a player who's going to be valued by other teams who got outplayed by Max Struess and who obviously is going to be preferred to be kept on the roster, and that maybe Kyle Lowry can get rendezvoused somewhere else. Um, There was like nonsense discussed on uh, one of the many podcasts I listened to about like a Russell Westbrook for Lowry and Duncan Robinson trade. That's terrible. I think that, that would be awful. The Lakers would, would, would laugh their way to the bank with something like that. I don't think that's something that's happening. But just thinking about some type of formation where they can get someone else in that can offer more of an offensive punch. I think they got their eyes are on Bradley Beal. Their eyes are on Zach Levine. Their help. eyes are on Donovan Mitchell. That would help. And I think that they have – they have the ingredients necessary in terms of draft capital, in terms of a young player who has shown offensive punch. Tyler Hero has months where he's scored 30 points per game in the NBA so far. 
Um, he, he's a reasonable piece to get back as a centerpiece in a trade for those guys if those borderline all-star or solid all-star players are, are disgruntled in their situation. So Miami, because of the market they are, because of the fortitude and, and strength of the, of the front office of Spolstra and Pat Riley, uh, you, you, can, you can never rule them out. And I think that the only people I'm locking into this roster moving forward are, are Jimmy and Bam, and I think everything else is not, is not tied down. And, yeah. and Jay, the reason why I brought up Bam is because I'm just not – if Pat Riley's picking up the phone and saying Tyler Hero or – I mean, Duncan Robinson, like at that contract, is now negative. Like, I I would say he's a negative, and Kyle Lowry, like, no, not doing it for me. So I just don't believe in any of those other guys to bring back a meaningful, a meaningful right. if- piece. Hero's good, um, and Hero plus a million picks, maybe. But like, what's that in competition with? And and if there's real competition out there then like heroes not really getting me super excited I mean, in the front office. So that's why I say bam. I, I'm not saying would you, would you rather have hero in draft picks or DeAndre Hunter in draft picks? Would you rather have hero rather in also, draft picks or, or have, Devin Vassell? Devin Vassell is, in draft picks. You're you know also I mean? like you're also selling low on Hero. Like he's been very he was a sixth man of the year. He's very good all I think, season. I think me, that people understand. People understand that he was hurt and that, that this yeah. performance in the playoffs is not him performing at his as at his he's valuable that he has shown that he has been, but I don't know. I, I, I think that I if you're a Heat fan, I think that you should be proud of the effort that your team has showcased. Uh understand that your team was uh, injured, even though I, I would like to discuss that storyline in general throughout the entirety of the playoffs. Everyone's injured. And that that, that moving forward, it, it's not anything to be nervous about in terms of your outlook and that boats can shift in the night and your team can be just as easily one of the three better teams in the Eastern Conference moving into next year, uh, depending on how the offseason goes. I, I just disagree with that. No worry about the outlook because – Butler and Lowry just have a lot of minutes on their bodies. And Butler's got a lot of Tom Thibodeau minutes. Lowry's got a lot, you know, Steve said the flailing around, but these are two oh. guys, these are two guys who draw a lot of contact. And that's and that's a part of why they lost the series is because they they have just when you're in your 30s, those bumps and bruises don't recover as well. And and that's what ha- and that's what that's- leads to a six-point performance from Jimmy Butler. Like is it's just such a yo-yo, and I think it's because like he's got a lot of miles on his body, and recovery is sometimes harder for him than than you would hope. And adding another year to it, adding more miles, I don't think it's going to make it any better unless Bam fundamentally shifts, or if Tyler Hero is able to be more of a two-way player and kind of be more of a. <laughs> Shay's getting they hard need... no on that. No, I I love. Shea's suggestion of going after a guy like Bradley Beal because they need somebody offensively to take the load off of Jimmy Butler when things get really sticky and you have to generate a bucket by yourself. Like the only guy in this team right now that you can be confident about getting a bucket is Jimmy Buckets. Like outside of him, no one had anything for the Celtics. And that's hats off to the Celtics because honestly, on paper, the one team that they probably did not want to meet in the playoffs were the Boston Celtics based on how good that defense is. And they made it life miserable for the heat they made them earn every bucket and that's 100 on the celtics being good but if you're the miami heat you have to get someone to help jimmy butler offensively because you can't those knees 
They're not going to be able to go 16 wins and winning your championship. You need someone to help them out. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that it should be interesting. It, it was just tough. I mean, Marcus Smart in, in back-to-back series, and you, you love him and hate him, and talking about, oh, my God, the nausea that was ensued from the back-to-back flop off on between him and Lowry was, was if you weren't a fan of either one of those teams, Miami and Boston, like obviously Boston fans, you, you, you live through smart and you love him for everything he does. And you're willing to take the, the gross stuff that comes with it. But if you're not a fan of either one of those teams, watching these two guys go back and forth where they're flailing their necks, snapping back, like they were in an exorcism. Uh, oh my gosh, it was impossible. It was terrible. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to how that is going to continue with with Draymond moving forward, but Draymond is nowhere near as bad as Lowry, who is all he was all time. You could tell that his game was his game was failing him, so he, he pulled on the laurels of his acting classes to see if he could really, and it worked. He he mucked it up and to the, the, referees, the referees. The referees were were wit. They were for it. They were down. They were they were ready for 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 whatever his antics were, were desiring. They they were down to to grant his wishes. But um, Smart proved that. He outplayed Lowry. He outplayed uh, – I mean, Hero barely played at all. But going to the previous series, I would say Marcus Smart outplayed uh, Drew Holiday. So it, it's really interesting because Miami didn't have enough supplementary contributions from their other guys, and it's obvious that Boston did. And I, and I think that at the end of the day, that you can say what you want about the health of both of the teams – even though the Celtics have missed most games in the Eastern Conference by players in starting lineup. But I think that Boston got 24-7-4 or whatever from Jalen. They got 16-6-6 or whatever it is from Smart. Uh, Derek White outplayed all of the guards on Miami in in, in this series. He, he has really come into his own uh, for, for someone who was struggling at times earlier in the playoffs. So I think that Boston, and it's a comment that I made earlier in the Milwaukee series, Boston has proven that they have the ability to overcome the absence of some of their players, whether it's Robert Williams, whether it's Derek White for the birth of his kid, whether it's uh, restricted Marcus Smart just by him playing because of uh, an outrageous ankle ankle roll. I have no clue how he is even playing in these games. They, they have an ability to contribute across the board and step up in a way that these other teams fell short of being able to contribute when their guys, second or third best player, if it's Chris Middleton's out, uh, Pat Connaughton isn't isn't good enough. And, and that's on the Bucks front office. That's on the Bucks in general for not being able to provide players that the Boston Celtics did have at, at, at their disposal. So moving forward, I think that do you have any other final thoughts on the Miami Heat before we jump into the uh, NBA finals? Great coaching job. Anyway. I, I do think that, you know, we lost a real one in the Miami Heat, and we need to take take yeah. some time to really appreciate the ones we've lost. So I took the liberty of lighting a candle um, so we can properly eulogize them, um, and I, I think we should probably set the tone correctly because um, it's a tragedy what, what's happened in the Eastern Easter Conference Finals. Seamus, Biddies, thank you for joining us today as we remember the 2022 Miami Heat. Some would say this Heat team was not the most talented bunch, a roster full of undrafted players and late lottery picks, a team nobody thought would be a number one seed, a team that never gave up and never said die. But unfortunately, at some point, 
We all must move on. I know. I know. And at the end of this great story for 2022 Miami Heat, I would like to take a moment to remember all those that we lost on the journey. Kyle Lowry. Yes, Kyle Lowry. Your unnecessary flailing and flopping will be missed. Nobody did better than you, but I'm sure Marcus Smart will carry on your legacy in the finals. Max Struess. We will miss your irrational confidence taking threes. But even more, we'll miss that beautiful face of yours. That beautiful, beautiful face. Chicago boy. <laughs> Bam Adebayo. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't know if you're truly at rest because you never showed up and we can't confirm your whereabouts. Maybe one day we will get, find, your, find you and give you a proper burial. Tyler Hero, the Celtics just want to say thank you for playing. They really appreciated it. Jimmy Butler, a.k.a. Jimmy, Play Jimmy Buckets, Playoff Jimmy, a.k.a. MJ's Lost Son, we will truly miss you. You carried the weight of an entire franchise on that strong back of yours. Unfortunately for Miami, your knees were not as strong. <laughs> Jimmy Butler. And finally... We will miss you, miss you, Mr. Heat himself, Udonis Haslam. UD, you had a career year in 2022. That's right. He logged 511 claps, 88 let's go yells in one epic sideline fight. Yes. If this is the end of his illustrious career, we want to say thank you for the memories. Now, let us remember those we've lost and thank the basketball gods for the ones we still have, the Boston Celtics. In the name of the Riley, Spolstra, and Miami Heat, culture. culture. Amen. <laughs> well just, done. Um, good night, Miami Heat. Uh, it won't be the last we hear from them, but let, let's jump into the 75th NBA Finals. We got our, our hometown Boston Celtics in their first That's finals wow. since 2010. They finally overcome the hump. Of the, was it was this our fifth conference finals with, with no with no fruit uh, picked off the tree? We're finally past that hump. Um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, young young guns here, hoping to help carry the Boston Celtics to uh, NBA record. What would be their 18 banner 18? So we're hoping that that's going what's going to happen. Uh, there's lots to discuss. I think that it's interesting trying to look at the matchups that these teams had earlier in the year. Obviously, they only played twice. There's been a lot said about how the Boston Celtics, as a franchise, are the only team with a winning record against the Golden State Warriors since the Steve Kerr era. Um, this season, they they split their games in December before the Celtics turnaround. Uh, <clears throat> Golden State at full strength beat the Celtics by four, and the Celtics were missing a couple players. Uh, Al Horford, I think they started Romeo Langford, so there's not much that you could take from that game. Uh, in the second game, which was in the thick of the Celtics' run, the Celtics obliterated the Warriors. They won by 22. Uh, Celtics were missing some players. The Warriors were technically at full health, but it was it was in one of the few games after Draymond Green had returned. So he was still coming off the bench. I think he only played 
20 something minutes, but that was more so because he got blown out rather than uh, a minutes restriction. So, and there's still not a ton that you can take from those two games overall, especially the first one, because the Celtics are basically a completely different team after January hit. Um, just for some uh, reiteration, since January 1st, the Celtics with an offensive rating of 118 and a defensive rating of 105, they were at the number one net rating in the league. That defensive rating was the best net, best defense in the league, and that offensive rating was the second best in the league. Golden State Warriors infamously had a very, very hot and surprising start. Uh, there was MVP chatter early in the season for Stephen Curry, uh, Jordan Poole, and Andrew Wiggins were surprise storing lines for the for the team as players that were providing a spark for this team in lieu of uh, obviously Clay Thompson, who had yet to return at that point. Um, Draymond Green had returned to his all defensive self, uh, only to get hurt later in the year. Uh, they kind of fumbled a little bit when Clay came back. Uh, clarity of roles, what was was a was a talking point for sure in terms of Jordan Poole returning to the bench, how they were meshed together. And after in that same timeline where Boston was two and one respectively in offense and defense, Golden State was a 112 offensive rating and a 110 defensive rating, which is good for 19th in the league and seventh in the league for defense. Um, they were not the team that we saw earlier in the year, but obviously what they've been playing recently in, in the playoffs in terms of their performance against the, the Dallas Mavericks is probably the best basketball they've played since the early part of the calendar. And conversely, game six and game the, the last three minutes of game seven is, is leaving a bad taste in, in the mouths of Celtics fans coming into this, in this, this matchup in the finals. So as an overall outlook, understanding where these teams were at season start, at playoff start, and now coming into this matchup, how do you just gauge what you've seen so far, what, how their performance has changed, and what is what deserves attention and what is not worth paying attention to at all? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely got a few just like – it's almost like two sides of the scale, and one of them is going to outweigh the other. So, like, one of them is just – if you started watching basketball on January 1st, 2022, then no doubt the best team that you've ever seen is the Boston Celtics. And they've been the best team the entire calendar year. But on the other side of that, you do have a Warriors team that has that finals experience, even for the younger guys who haven't been in the finals. I think there's some osmosis when you're, when you got the guys on your court it, that are just more comfortable. Um, and then, you know, our, our did the Celtics end up peaking too early? And are they gonna are they are we gonna look back at it as they ran out of gas by the time the finals came around? Or conversely, is it hey, the Warriors started clicking again right at the perfect moment and and they just were ready to be a buzzsaw for everyone? Um, so those are a few of the things, uh, just like on the team scale, and, and then I've got some player stuff that I can get into, but I don't wanna don't wanna monologue too long. I do wanna push back on the idea that like the Warriors are peaking right now because I just, just looking at their road to the finals compared to the Celtics, like they are going to look better comparatively based on the teams they've played already. They played the Nuggets in the first round and the Nuggets, like they have the MVP in Jokic, but outside of him, the Nuggets have nothing for them. They're, they're the worst non-Bulls team in the playoffs. Yeah. 
And then Memphis, like that could have been a formidable series. They lost John Morant. Uh, I don't know at what game they lost him. I forget, but I know Memphis was still a very good team without John Morant. They showed that in the regular season, but still, you know, a, a John Morant less Memphis team is not as challenging as maybe the Celtics second round matchup in the Bucks. And then finally, the Memphis Mavs, beat the Warriors by fifty without John. Yeah, I, I'm just saying though, like. And I'm just, you're not I'm giving them giving a chance a to, to your yeah, but you're not you're and, not giving and, them a chance to win the series without Jaws. What I'm saying, and and Memphis against Minnesota was not like oh these guys are world beaters right like it was it was pretty clear during that series that both Memphis and Minnesota at the same time were just like nice so, regular I guess, season stories. So I guess that like weren't real playoff teams. My my overall assessment of what you were saying though is like if you watch a lot of college playoffs, like you know you typically watch like the one four matchup this is the first playoff game, and the one team the one seems usually like an SEC team that's been playing the juggernauts all year round, and then the four seeds like some some team that's played in a shitty conference, and the four gets absolutely whacked. So I, what I'm trying to say is I know Golden State looks like this well-oiled machine at the moment but they've been playing relatively lesser teams than the Celtics and of course the Celtics are going to look banged up and they're going to struggle because they're playing the best of the best in the former champion Bucks and the aforementioned Miami Heat I mean Brooklyn might if Brooklyn if Golden State had to play Brooklyn that might be the best team that they played all playoffs but yeah that's definitely one of my that's one of my notes on my paper here is like if the Celtics win particularly if the Celtics like win it in five or six rather than seven so we just look back at this season and be like, well, the West was really weak and the East was better. And of course, whoever was going to come out of the better conference was going to beat that, that whoever's coming out of the weaker one, because it's just like the Lakers effed it up from the start Clippers. They were screwed from the start. The Nuggets had injuries. Luca was a one man team in Dallas, Phoenix crumbled and just like, yeah, somebody had to win the, win the conference. So that's definitely uh you know, a couple of weeks from now, that might be something we're talking about. Yeah, I'm I'm having a hard time being colored too dramatically by Game Six in Miami and or Game Six in Boston, rather, and then the the last couple minutes of of Game Seven. And it, like, if you like, if the Celtics closed out in Game Six and was just like a, a pedestrian win. And we were coming into the NBA Finals with an extra two days of rest. I I would probably pick Boston in five or six games to win the series uh, because of the nerves that I have about the flaws that they've showcased at their worst, even though I think that Miami is a team more poised to extrapolate on those flaws than a team like uh, Golden State is. I think that I'm, I become more nervous and I think it's more likely to be a series that'll go the distance, but, but Boston is going to be above and beyond, like not even close, the best defense that Golden State has played that yet this playoffs. And they're most likely if, as long as, and to return to something that has been a talking point previous for us, as long as the Celtics can stay out of their own way, the Celtics are also going to be the best offense that Golden State has played up against so far to this playoffs. And and I think that there's arguments that the Boston Celtics have played superior offenses in, in, in uh, Brooklyn and at times Milwaukee and have played superior defenses in both Milwaukee and in especially Miami Heat than the Golden State Warriors. I understand that in the entirety of the year, Golden State had the second best defense in the season um, behind 
our Boston Celtics. But a, a lot of that was lifted by that early surge. And, and I ran over those numbers since the calendar turned, since they had their full roster back and were really implementing more minutes with Clay, who, who has been um, staggeringly worse, uh, as, as you would expect defensively for a player coming off serious leg injuries. Jordan Poole is a defensive sieve. And, and they have a lot of players that they're relying on for rotation minutes that are, that are unproven defensively, even though we're seeing probably a career best year defensively from Steph Curry. So when I'm looking at just the scope of the, the matchup, I'm thinking Boston is battle-tested through three series where they played three teams that are better than any of the teams that Golden State just played. And Golden State is coming in, yes, they're going to be – offering all types of challenges that Boston did not face with those guys because they're a different offense in terms of movement, in terms of how they play uh, on both ends of the ball. But I, I just think that everything that we've seen besides the fact that Boston is injured currently and just went through an arduous back-to-back seven-game series favors the Celtics. But those last two points could matter so much that it's it's Golden State's championship to win. Yeah, and, and like I mean, with with Golden State, like they've got Steph Curry, a fourth Finals, uh, a fourth Finals trophy, a first Finals MVP trophy going into his trophy case it makes all the sense in the world. Like that would not be surprising at all. Just like thinking about the narrative history of basketball. One point that you brought up, Shay, was that you, you know maybe Golden State has a statistically better defense than than Milwaukee and Miami, who we played, but defense also is a lot about how you match up and the Celtics really did not like Milwaukee's size and they did not like uh, Miami's physicality. Both Miami and Golden State force a lot of turnovers, but Miami does it with a lot of physicality that was bothering Boston. And Boston is now going from these past uh, past two series where Milwaukee, they were at a, major size disadvantage uh miami they, they size wise match up pretty similarly um but now against golden state they're bigger not just in the front court but yeah. really all over the floor they're a lot bigger they're ready to be the, the physical team so i'm i'm hopeful that that size advantage all over the floor is going to be something that favors the Celtics a lot. I didn't want to touch on a point. Like I, I took this as an opposite, the opposite way that you took a Seamus. I think you mentioned that like Boston does have the show and the propensity against the heat, at least to have mental blunders at times. And the heat would just gash them for like a 15 to three run. You know, I mean, that's honestly, that's the whole reason why the heat stayed in this series and got to seven is because at times sure. when the Celtics started bleeding, the heat would just gash them open and go for huge runs. And you said you weren't as concerned about that with golden state. And I actually took that the opposite way. I would be more personally concerned with the golden state warriors because they have the far more explosive offense compared to the Miami heat. And if, if the Celtics do have four minutes where they are just not at their tip top form, this, the Golden State Warriors can just launch three after three after three. They could go on a 20 something, like, you know, low 20 run, 20 to four run or something, and just gash the Celtics. So I would be more concerned as a Celtics fan about these blunders against the Warriors versus, you know, last series against the Heat. I, I, mean, I think, I think that, yeah, there's definitely a lot of room for my, uh, for Golden State to be 
less generous, less forgiving about those bad stretches from the Celtics. But the Celtics really weren't experiencing those stretches against Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Uh, uh, and, and of course, like any t- any game that you're going to play is going to have bad stretches to it. But Milwaukee and Brooklyn gives you 11 games where it was not this just like head spinning turnover after turnover after turnover. And basically, I just think that it says a lot more about Miami, heat culture, and their ability to get physical and frustrate the Celtics and create those turnovers. And while Golden State, like I said, they have a very similar turnover profile, both on offense and defense, both Miami and Golden State turn it over a lot and force a lot of turnovers. Um, But I don't know if they're going to be able to do it in the same way that Miami did, because if Boston can, if Boston's the one being a little bit more able to impose their will physically, then I don't, I don't know if they'll have some of those same issues. Yeah, like Golden State doesn't have the same flavor of defenders in, that Miami has in, in, in the ilk of Lowry and Oladipo and P.J. Tucker, where the Miami team early on, they set the pace and the tone for the series that th- this is going to be a bar fight and that we can both play like this and, and hopefully that'll favor us. And, and more often than not, it, it did. And, and the Celtics played down to that level. They were allowed to be more physical than they typically are uh, on, the, on the other end of the floor. And, and Golden State is, is not that similar style, not that intense physicality, whack you across the arms when, when, you're, when you're driving the ball, uh, scram doubles when, when your back's turned. That's not their defense. They do play in the passing lanes a lot, which obviously is, is a symptom of, of turnovers that we saw from the Celtics where they're making lazy passes. But I think that that could also be an attribute of being housed, harassed, and, and really irritated. So like outside of Gary Payton too, um, they, they don't have a lot of like on-ball threats where I'm worried about that same physicality force a turnover aspect as I am with the defenders that Miami had. I think it's more so they, they have a high IQ uh, foundation in terms of Draymond Green as, as their lead defender, as their quarterback of their defense. And, and they have good individual defenders in terms of Andrew Wiggins has proven that he's a strong defensive player throughout the uh, throughout the playoffs and the regular season. He did well against Luka, even though the numbers would make you think that he did not. Um Steph uh, works well in a system, but he, he's not like a supreme uh, nuisance in terms of forcing turnovers. He's more of like a pickpocket here and there. Um, and, and other players in the rotation, whether you're talking about uh, like Otto Porter, um, I, like Kevon Looney, like these players, yes, they're like on a scale of bad defender to good defender, they're closer to good defender, but it's just not nearly in the same realm or, or better yet, like area of, of intense defense that we so, saw from Miami or even from Milwaukee. So I, I'm just much less concerned, at, you, you're, uh, you're, encapsulating it to say that the runs didn't happen against those first two series. I think that's a perfect okay. way to frame it, and, and and I just think it's not, I don't think it's as likely to happen. I think it says more about Miami than Boston. That's fair. Yes, yes. And I do I do I am curious, like how do you guys view 
Boston because like we've seen Boston be an elite defensive team in these playoffs for the most part and I feel like the Warriors are a different animal compared to everyone else they've played so far because like a lot of these teams they've played are like superstar oriented like the offense will run through one or two guys um, and the Warriors are probably the most balanced team as far as how they run their offense in I would say maybe in the entire playoffs so like do you think the way that the the Warriors run their offense will cause problems for the Celtics or does this actually play into the Celtics hand where they do a lot of switching and they can just guard anyone with anyone? And listen, the Warriors are the Warriors because of player movement and ball movement. And it, it, like we, like I said, we could be sitting here when, when I say we could be sitting here two weeks from now and saying a lot of different things towards the top of my list is yeah. Didn't matter how good the Celtics defense was. The Warriors can move the ball really well and the players are moving really well and it's tough to fight around those screens um so really like i think the key matchup is going to be uh marcus smart and then derek white chasing around steph and, and anything schematically where maybe uh jalen brown is doing a little bit of it at times but um but yeah i mean it is that is what's going to kill the celtics if the if the warriors are the lift in the larry o'brien trophy What's going to kill the Celtics, I think, is going to be the player movement and ball movement. It's just too much to keep up with. And if the games are getting into the 120s, like that's not really how the Celtics have been winning. Right. I think that the Celtics have shown that they can throw a variety of defensive looks at explosive offensive teams and, and succeed. And I think that if you're looking back over the course of this Warriors dynasty, that the defenses that they, they struggle with most are switch-heavy, switch-everything defenses. And, and that's what the Boston Celtics have proven, that they can be most potent with when they're performing at full health and things are flying on all, all cylinders. So, I mean, look back to the Houston Rockets team with Chris Paul. I think back to Kevin Durant's uh, Warriors team that needed the incredible performance from Clay in Game 6. You think back to... Uh, the adjustments Ty Lue made to, to the 2016 Warriors, to changing that series uh, after game two, to, to doing switch everything. Um, the moments where this team has struggled most is, is when the, the valve of we're constantly moving is cut off by just switching off ball and, and players are, are just moving and they're, they're conserving energy, even though it's obviously still tiring. And the X factor for me, and it's funny because I said he was the X factor for last series, and it bared out a little bit when when he was healthy and when he was playing, he clearly outshined Bam Adebayo, and I, I think it's Robert Williams. Um, there, there's gonna be kinks in the in the defense occasionally because you can't play 48 minutes of perfect switch defense, switch everything defense against a exquisite offense like the Warriors have without having uh, mishaps, without having skips, without having issues where you're losing a guy backdoor. And why Rob Williams is so important is because if Jalen Brown loses someone off ball, off a screen, which he has a propensity to do, uh, Rob, Rob Williams can evaporate at the at the rim and, and, and he's all of a sudden there and it, it just solves so many issues that the Celtics could have, covers up for the mistakes that are made on the perimeter, even though they're not made that often because of how good Boston Celtics defense is. So I, I think Boston has the defensive answers for this offensive firepower that is offered uh, on the Golden State side, but it, it's going to come down to, it's just going to come down to, I, I hate that it's I, I like 
leaving the Miami series, it's been, Rob was forty-five percent. What was he? Forty percent. Mm. He was a gimp. He was walking around. Was, yeah. And Ime in the post game celebrations was was praising Rob for playing through pain. Um, and they've talked about how that injury more often than not is about swelling and about keeping the soreness uh, to a minimum and about being able to play through the intense uh, actual sensation of what's going on in his knee. It's not actually that something has messed up and broken, even though there's obviously residual problems from previous injuries. So I think that this four-day break is going to do wonders for him overall. I'm hoping that he comes into game one and he's looking more spry. Longer rest between games too. Yes, exactly. There's two games. I I feel like Horford is another guy who's going to benefit from – obviously rest helps everyone. The Warriors got some older players that are key to them. So it's it's not that like I think rest so dramatically helps the Celtics, but Rob Williams needs needs it the most. Al Horford could definitely use it. Marcus Smart could definitely use it. Um, So I just – and the the greater amount of time between games, I think, can go a long way because, like, you know, people are kind of like, like you said, Shay. People are kind of down on the Celtics because of how Game Six and Game Seven closed out. But just like, if the rest can just get Rob a little yeah. bit closer to February, Rob, then it's a different team. It's a shame too, like the way the NBA. Because I know they they want to get everything in early and, and close the season out. You know by mid-June at the latest. But it's a shame. Like, we got a really shitty Eastern Conference final because both oh, teams were just limping to the finish line. It's just un- it's unfortunate. And I, I do think that the finals having those extra days of rest, while rest helps everyone, I think you nailed it on, the nail on the head, Betty's is like the Celtics are just limping to the finish line and they need it badly. So I'm hoping to see a better rejuvenated Celtics team in the final. And I'm just curious, like, because these teams play such different styles, like obviously Boston comparatively is the bigger team with Al and Time Lord out there um, together. Like, how do these teams match up? Do you, are they going? Are we going to see mis- mismatches of like a small Warriors against a big Celtics? And if so, like, how do they? How are we going to see matchups in the series? Because I I can't figure it out right now. Well, Golden State has toyed with playing with the lineup with Draymond at the five and playing those three guards and then with Wiggins at Oof. the four. Um, that had mixed results where it was extremely potent and outrageous in the Nuggets series and then fell off the face of a cliff in the Memphis series. And then uh, they've used it sparingly since. But, I mean, that's going to be something that they toy with. They do a similar lineup with Otto Porter um, (coughs) infused there as well. Uh, I think that uh, throughout their entire dynasty, they show that they play small a lot. Um, Boston, unlike the last few teams that they've played, has the ability to play small if needed. I am very, very interested to see if we see any minutes without Grant, Al, or Rob on the court, whether Tatum's playing the five, whether Marcus Smart is technically your five and he's the one that's guarding Draymond. I think that Golden State, when they play small, that's a team that you could play that lineup against, whether it's just you're using Derek White, um, you're using – maybe you're putting Peyton Pritchard in the game. It does, you know, who, who, you want to play fast with them. And Grant would be the five. Right. I mean, there's, there, there could be games like that. Celtics. Yeah. yeah. And then on the flip side, uh, this Warriors team and, and Warriors teams of past, yes, they do frequently start Looney with Green. I think that Looney has been able to uh, succeed to a degree that he won't be able to succeed against Boston's front line. And I think that Boston has the capacity to play big and really muscle Golden State in a way that 
they haven't been able to in previous series all the way back into all the way to round one. So I think that Boston has more lineup more lineup flexibility and has the ability to match the interesting and uh, the highs and the ceilings that we're going to see from offensive geared lineups out of out of Golden State. So I, I think it's you're going to see a lot of interesting things. I think that there's going to be games where Kerr tries to play big and those games are going to be slogs and, and there are going to be uh, two good defenses going against each other and it's going to be uh, 85% of the games that we saw in the Miami series. And then there's going to be other games where I think that Kerr is going to motivate an offensive first game so that the cards are really in his court in terms of what he wants to play where he's going to do small three-guard lineups where it's probably going to be a 119 to 115 type of type of performance. So I think there should be a lot of variance. There should be a lot of good basketball. And I, I think that the lineups are – Boston's going to be ready for whatever Kerr can throw at them. And I think it is going to be uh, who's going to decide the, the tempo of the game will be how Boston responds initially to what decision is made outright by Golden State first. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's a situation where if Boston can set the terms, that's going to be big. Then, then that's going to be a lot tougher for Golden State than if Golden State sets the terms, that's going to be small. I think Boston can do a little bit more, and, and that's where Rob Williams' health comes back in. Is It's a lot easier for the Celtics to play big when Rob Williams is blocking three-point shots like uh, nobody ever has. Yeah. I, I think we should give a shout-out, too, to Coach Udoka because like, I know Celtics fans – in like December one, everyone collectively want him fired. Like they hated his guts. And this dude like has this team clicking and he's, he honestly has played these playoffs like, like a perfection, like a chess match against some of the best coaches in the game. I mean, what do they say? Coach Spo was on the NBA top 15 coaches of all time. And I, I would say Udoka went blow for blow with him as far as strategy is concerned. So like shout out to him for just drive, like leading these Celtics to where they are now. I would have liked a timeout uh, as the lead was unraveling yeah, in Game I know. Seven, but but hey, we're here, and, and yeah, Udoka's done a great job. Do you guys have anything else on the the Celtics before we get to our maybe like keys to the series and maybe what you guys have for a prediction? What team? How many games? And if you want to throw a Finals MVP, you can take that one as well. You know, I'll do it as my my key to the series. Should I do it all in one? I can do a key and yeah, you know, go ahead. Prediction. All right. My key to the series is that uh, there are two players in this series that uh, both reliably create their own shot and defend at a high level. That's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. That's my key to the series. I got Celtics lifting the trophy at home in six and uh, the, the inaugural Larry Bird. Eastern Conference MVP uh, will also be win the Finals MVP. Jason Tatum, you had you had to go with JT. I think that that's very reasonable. Um, I do think that I'm being poisoned by the nerves that I have and what issues we've had in the Miami series. Um, I, I, my my key is I think that this is going really really setting up to be a big Jalen series. I don't think that he's going to have the struggles that he did in in transition play where that's an area where he thrived uh, throughout his entire career and and, in the half court in terms of his ball handling that he had in the last series against Golden State. um, I think that he's going to be much more capable of hunting mismatches on both Steph, Poole, 
Clay, um, th- th- those unless he's being guarded by GP two, which will come in spot minutes, I, th- I think that he's likely going to be feasting. Um, I, I'm I'm having him poised for I don't know 29 points per game in, in this series. Uh, I, I I think he might be my pick for Finals MVP. I'm going for Celtics in seven. Um, I, I do think it's going to be a really really long series. I would be shocked. I'd be really really shocked if it wasn't six or seven games, um, unless we get game one and it's just like the Celtics look outrageously healthy um, and and Rob is super super spry. Uh, smart isn't laboring whatsoever. Um, maybe I could, I, I would, I mean, even thinking that it's like, no way the Celtics could beat this team in five games, but that would be the only way I could see it not going the distance. Um, the Celtics have proven that they are road warriors and have no problem stealing games uh, on the opponent's court. It should be uh, meeting an interesting match here as, as the Warriors, I believe, have not lost a home game yet this playoff. So it, it should be interesting. The, the Boston crowd is an advantage over the newly minted Chase Center crowd. So I, I think that I, I trust the team that has more answers and that has proven to be a stronger team on both ends of the ball since the calendar turned and for the large part of this playoffs. I do think that I'm doing my best to frame my thought process as coming in to a finals matchup where you were battle tested prepares you more than an easy road where you're rested. Um, I understand that there's, there's kind of nuances to that, but I, I think that the Celtics have a serious opportunity where they are not expected to get, get win game one. I'm not expecting them to win game one, but if they're able to sneak in and steal that, that, that really flips the series on the head for me. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I do think it'll end up going, all seven. I think that Boston ends up raising it up, gets banner 18 for our boys, and we uh, parade the streets. Hell yeah. So for me, I feel like the biggest factor to this this series are going to be the Boston bigs, both Al and Time Lord, and for different reasons, right? Because we, we've seen Time Lord, he is a defensive menace, probably deserving of defensive play of the year, but he missed a significant amount of time toward the end of the season. And for Rob, it's like, can he get healthy and, and play at least six of these games if it goes seven. Can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he be not like played off the court, you know, lineup dependent because they need him huge defensively. And then Al Horford, like Boston will have a decided size advantage down low, right? You know, Golden State's probably going to hit more threes. If you're Boston, you want to get extra second chance points, use that size advantage to your benefit. Can Al Horford continue to be playoff Al play at this high level that he's played with all series or all how much money does he get does he get 12 million if they win a lot of extra a lot of extra cash so he's definitely motivated first championship a big payday i want to see the boston bigs available and playing really well um i think if they can do both of those things celtics will have this wrapped up and i'm just not certain that will happen uh my prediction unfortunately Golden State does. Ha- I'm having a tough time deciding which way this is going to go. Boston, can, can Boston, you can you can you pick Golden State in six or seven just for I, some balance? I, I, let me finish. I don't, I don't let me want finish. it to let be three across the board yes, because I'm not I'm not that confident as a podcast. Here's my here's my thought process. Boston's been the best team since the turn of the calendar year, without a doubt. Golden State has been clicking it on all, all cylinders in the playoffs. Although we said it could be a little fluky. However, Golden State has home field advantage. They have the playoff experience. 
I I can I can't pick against Golden State with all all of their pedigree. I'm gonna say the Warriors in seven. Although if if the Warriors really get it clicking, they might be able to do it in six. I'm gonna stick with seven. And then I'm saying Steph Curry storyline legacy stuff gonna end up by getting Finals MVP to kind of fill that trophy case. Um, yeah, so Golden State in seven for me. I think that's I think that's super reasonable because it's just like it's it's, it's close. just as likely it's close. That, that it's yeah it's just as likely that this team is exhausted from two crazy crazy arduous series and that smart Rob and the various other players that are struggling with injuries on the Celtic side uh, are not up to snuff and, and the rest doesn't help and it's only three days not seven so I I I think that we're gonna be able to see a lot um, tomorrow night on, on June 2nd and we're, we're going to be able to see uh, what the level of health is. And I think that that's really going to determine uh, what caliber of, of series we get. But I think that these two teams are, are, are pretty evenly matched. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, for, for them to go at it. I, I think that the storyline of, of the, of it's, it's funny with, with obviously Warriors are more experienced team, um, and it's funny because up to this point, the Celtics were always talked about a young team and were never given the credit as, a, as an experienced team. Like like Jason Tatum has played in like something like 14 more playoff games than Damian Lillard. It, it's like so it's like they were never given the credit for, for being a, a playoff deep running team. And until now where it's like, yes, now they're at a point where they haven't been here yet. This is newfound air. Um, they're they're at a media day today answering questions they've never answered everything is new um so it should be interesting to see if if this new uh introduction and in, in new realm is something that's too difficult for them to overcome but i'm really really excited uh, i'm also very very nervous and I, I look forward to wearing all types of jerseys and warm-ups and go boston celtics thanks thanks for joining me you got any closing thoughts before we skedaddle Congrats to Real Madrid on winning the Champions League. I was waiting he for snuck it. it he we snuck it in. He snuck it in. Yes. Soccer update for the beginning of the My podcast. Man. <laughs> Adios. Adios.